Thank you, Bob. Thank you, team. Good morning, everyone. I was just reminded, somebody laid an egg on the stage here, by the way. <laughs> I don't think it's an Easter egg. I was just reminded as Matt was uh, doing the announcements this morning, I don't know if I've told you this story or not, but during uh, my tenure in the Warrnambool days, we had a lady in the congregation who'd been there forever. She was like one of the... Well, she couldn't have been a founding member because the church was 150 years old, but pretty close. <laughs> and she said to me one day, you know, when it comes to pastors, there's good ones and there's not so good ones. And if you get a good one, you're thankful. And if you've got a not-so-good one, you just wait a while and then eventually they'll move on and then you might get a good one. <laughs> and I say to you, in that moment, when she said that, I thought, I'm going to outlast you. <laughs> but she's still there. <laughs> just, uh, just this week, I've been thinking a little bit about uh, the kind of jobs that we do. I don't know, if you... Uh, uh, have lived a bit of life, those of you perhaps um, retired, you look back and, and think about the kind of work that you've had over the years or even those who are young, uh, the kind of things you do just to make a few dollars and I can remember myself, my very first job uh, was helping unpack containers of camping goods that had been shipped from Czechoslovakia to the companion uh, factory in Nunawading uh, I was paid $3.51 an hour to unpack these containers in the middle of summer. It was fantastic, big money, like $20 a day kind of thing. Uh, that was big bucks in those days. One of the many things that I've had a crack at, and I'm sure others of you have done the same. One of my favourite jobs, though, was uh, working with a guy who laid carpet. His name was Graham. And Graham rang me up one time and said, look, I'm looking for someone to help lay some carpet at the Framlingham Mission. Would you be interested in coming out there? And I said, no worries. Never laid carpet in my life. He said, no problems. I'll um, sort that out for you. It's relatively easy. You just nail down the smooth edge, the prickly bits, and uh, I'll come along and do the underlay, and then together we'll stretch the carpet. And after a few days of that, I considered myself a professional carpet layer. <laughs> Don't ask me to come to your place to lay carpet. But the best part about that job was not learning the skills. The best part of that job was the fact that Graham's son uh, was a baker at the Haywood Bakery. And so every day before he would, uh, he would come onto the work site, Graham would say, what do you want for lunch tomorrow? You've got a bakery to choose from. And so typically what I would say to Graham is, I just want one thing, just bring me a fresh loaf of bread. Now, for those of you who are gluten intolerant or celiacs, um, I'm so deeply sorry this is going to be a very difficult sermon for you because uh, we're going to talk about bread. And Graham would bring along this beautiful bread. I did open this in Aubrey, but I had to watch it because those people over in Aubrey, they were looking at it quite... In fact, as I was leaving, one woman came up to me in the middle of the last song and said, could I have the crust, please? <laughs> the height of her. <laughs> a, loaf, a, a loaf of bread was just the best because you could take, and I'm going to do it this time, um, you could take, in fact, the baker that I bought this from this morning handed me this, he said, that is a beautiful loaf of bread. Look at the colour on the top. And look at the quadrants, it's just magnificent. You could take one of those quadrants, if you like, a quarter of it, you know what that smells like, don't you? <laughs> it's magnificent. Morning tea, sorted. And then you could take uh, another two, I won't break it all the way, uh, that's lunch sorted, 
And then there was one piece, another quarter left for afternoon tea. What more could a man want? <laughs> just magnificent. Now I'm going to have to just pop that back in the bag lest those of you in the front row are tempted. <laughs> just watching you guys. We're going to talk uh, this morning about bread. And as I say, those of you who are, uh, struggle a little bit with, um, with eating bread, please don't um, panic because as we talk about bread, as bread is spoken of in the scripture, and it's spoken of very broadly in the scripture, it's spoken of more broadly in terms of the food that God gives us. In other words, how God meets our daily needs. And so this morning we're going to come to Matthew chapter 6, 11, where Jesus modelled for his disciples a prayer and said, give us this day our daily bread. Not magnificent words. Give us today our daily bread. Years ago, I took uh, my family, or my family and I went to Sovereign Hill. Some of you might recognise a couple of these buildings here. One of the lesser visited buildings in Sovereign Hill is the little church chapel there. Most of the kids and the tourists, you know, they want to do the gold stuff, all that sort of thing. Uh, but this is a great little building and so my older two children, Natasha and Joshua and I went in here and let me just say that in terms of a church, it's just fantastic. Wooden floor, wooden walls, a lovely little ceiling, wooden seats and the, the resonance in the building was just fantastic. And so thinking that we were the only ones in the building... I went to the front. I don't know, Phil, can you give me some extra echo or something here? And <laughs> this is going to push him. I haven't warned him about this. And I stood up there in my very best ministerial style and I said, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the presence of God and these witnesses to witness the joining of this couple in holy matrimony. That's well done. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> and then... <laughs> This is embarrassing because from the back in the little portico I heard <laughs> because there were these people out there who heard <laughs> this lovely intonation happening. Now I'll tell you that story because in some senses as we come to the Lord's Prayer, uh, the first, whoops, sorry, the first, uh, let's go back a little, the first um, part of it, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It really feels like it needs to be said like that, doesn't it? They are words that are addressing Almighty God. They are words that are addressing the Holy One in heaven, the, the, the Creator of all. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done and as it is on, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Sorry. And then we come to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which is a complete contrast in some ways, isn't it? We've been saying these exalted words about God and then we come to the second half. Give us today our daily bread. In other words, give me some food. You know, meet my daily needs. It's such a difference. And it's significant, and I spoke about this when I introduced this series. The Lord's Prayer is this marrying of of the two things, the, the vertical and the horizontal, the worship and glory of God and the needs that we have. We're invited here uh, to, to pray about human life in all of its wonderful and challenging historical and biological and emotional and social messiness. We're invited to pray about the food that we eat, the reality of sin, the experience of temptation and our wrestle with evil. This, 
this prayer brings together the vertical concerns of God and the horizontal concerns of humanity. There's a joining, if you like, of the material and the spiritual, the earthly, the heavenly, the creator and the creation. And it's in the same breath that we exalt the name of God in all his majesty and glory and we're asked to ask or we're invited to pray for our most basic needs, the food that nourishes us, forgiveness from sin and protection from evil. For those of you who like a little bit of structure in, in your sermons uh, and those who take notes, today we're going to look at four points and just for the fun of it, they're all P's, the priority of bread, the provision of bread, the plurality of bread, that's a funny kind of a word, and the proclamation of bread which will lead us into our communion this morning as we proclaim that great feast that Jesus has promised for us. But let's talk about the priority of bread first. And the picture that we're looking at here kind of reminds us of bread in so much as they look an awful lot like loaves of bread, but those are actually stones. And that ought to lead us quite happily into talking about the fact that when Jesus was tested in the wilderness by Satan, one of the temptations put to him recorded in Matthew chapter 4 is turn these stones into bread remember of course the context Jesus had not eaten for 40 days and and the scripture says quite simply he was hungry let me tell you if I've not eaten for four days do not get between me and that loaf of bread (laughs) you know what it's like perhaps to be a little bit on the lean side a little bit hungry probably none of us here know what true hunger is But Jesus most certainly would have been very hungry and so this temptation is not some small matter. Satan said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And in response, Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's provision of manna to his people in the wilderness sits behind that passage that's a well-known story and it's true enough to say that we don't live on bread alone but we do need to eat don't we one of the important messages of this prayer is God doesn't mind us asking for our daily needs for our most basic daily needs in fact we could even go so far as to say this the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we should never be ashamed to come to God to ask for our basic needs God cares about what we eat God cares about where we live. God cares about what we wear. I've been thinking about this and I've spoken to a couple of people about this through this week. I wonder whether sometimes the reason we don't see answers to prayer in the way that we might like is because we pray too generally. Lord, let there be peace in the Middle East. Does God answer that prayer? Absolutely. Am I likely to see an answer to that? Well, perhaps not in an obvious way I might not know that there was a rocket that misfired or that there was a family that was saved or whatever it might be but the invitation of this prayer is to drill down quite deeply into the very basics and purposefulness of life you know ask for the things that are most intimate in your life pray specifically and uh, and just as we're on that topic one of the really helpful things that I found when people have prayed for me and I try to reflect it when praying for them is to pray specifically. Lord, I ask that Peter might know your love and express it in his relationships with the person that he runs into this afternoon, whatever that might look like, you know, drilling down into the specifics because God invites us in this prayer 
to pray very specifically and very specifically about our food. Now, those of you who know your Bible might flick over a couple of pages to this passage where Jesus says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So do not worry saying, What shall we eat or what shall we wear or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Is there a conflict, is there a tension between what I've just said, to pray for our basic needs, for our food, our clothing, whatever it might be, and this passage which is pretty much in the same context, which is don't worry about these things because God knows that you need them. The temptation may be, uh, as we seek to be devout Christians, to kind of uh, over-spiritualise, if you like, and say, well, I'm not going to pray for these worldly things because these spiritual things that I should be praying for are more important. We shouldn't be distracted by food or clothing. But Jesus did not say we shouldn't think about... Uh, we should not think about them. Jesus said we shouldn't worry about them. And the reason we shouldn't worry about them is because we've prayed about them and having prayed about them, we can trust God to provide them. It actually is picked up in something Jesus also says in the same context, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be given to you as well. So there's no conflict there in praying for our basic needs and then trusting God for them and knowing that they will be delivered in God's time. I had a conversation with some people this week who related a story of just how through a difficult season of life they moved from being people who, who, who nominally, perhaps that might be an unfair thing to say, who at least theologically said, yes, we trust God, into a season where they had to trust God for everything day by day and now sit in a place to say, you know, we, we're happy to walk into whatever God brings us because we know he is faithful. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be given to you as well. This prayer, this, uh, this part of the prayer reminds us that human life is connected to the material reality of our world and although life is more than bread, God knows that we can't get along without it. And God knows that we need to go and work for our bread, if I can use that metaphorically. We need to do a lot of stuff, a lot of work, put in a lot of effort to put food on the table for ourselves and our family. God knows that. And so we're invited to pray into that, that God might lead us in that very ordinary part of life, if you like. Let's talk a little bit about the provision of bread. A few moments ago I talked about how God provided manna in the desert. You know the story with the manna, the people were to go out and collect enough for the day. Those who collected enough for the day and collected a bit more for tomorrow soon discovered that what they collected for tomorrow went kind of rancid and horrible. And so learnt very, very quickly that they were to depend upon God day by day. There's an old Christian song that uh, some of you might know. It's based on uh, the passage Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. See if you can finish this line for me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Way back in the Old Testament, God's mercies and grace are new every morning just in the same way that that manna was new every morning the steadfast love of the lord never ceases jesus taught his disciples to pray give us today our daily bread the emphasis on the word today 
a reminder that God wants us to learn the daily dependence or wants us to learn daily dependence on Him. And this is important because if I'm brutally honest with you, this is how I'd like to pray. And you probably have perhaps, I shouldn't be so unfair, you may have fallen into this trap too. Lord, give us today our yearly bread. Let me build enough barns, can I use a biblical metaphor, uh, to fill up so that I can know that for the next year I don't have to worry. Sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? You know, make sure there's enough there for me, God, so that I can just walk into tomorrow and the day after and the day after, relax in your presence, you know, that'll be okay. Give us today our yearly bread. And that's not what Jesus taught us to pray as his disciples. That'd suit my personality type. It would, it would be right up my alley in some ways. But the problem with that thinking is that it actually negates the need to trust God. And just trust in myself here, friends. And we often live like this. I was reminded as I was thinking about this of, um, of the excursions that we used to make in uh, PNG whenever we went into town or whenever I took students out into the bush to minister or whatever. I was one of the lucky people who, who had a licence to drive. Getting the licence was hilarious. We went into the uh, police station... Uh, I asked if I could get a Class 6 licence, which basically was the top licence. You know, you could drive a semi-trailer with a Class 6 licence. And they said, what sort of licence do you have? I said, I've got a car licence. They said, well, you can't have a Class 6 licence. I said, I've also got a forklift licence. They said, oh, no worries then. (laughs) (laughs) But a Class 6 licence would allow you to drive uh, buses like this on the roads, the coaster bus, that sort of stuff. And, uh, and then uh, there were some very clear instructions that we had about driving outside the campus. Watch out for the three P's. People, pigs, potholes. In that order. And I speak with all seriousness because if you hit a person, we were under very clear instructions to drive, first of all, to the nearest police station and ask them to lock you up for your protection... Or if it was a fatality, go to the first airport you came to and get out of the country and never come back. And I I say that with all sincerity because the threat of payback was so big. The instantaneous nature of justice, it didn't matter who, who you were. So don't hit a person, whatever you do. Try and avoid hitting pigs. Now, you think, well, that shouldn't be too hard. You don't drive through many pig pens. But people would often be walking with their pigs along the road, taking them to somewhere, wherever, not necessarily to market, perhaps to a festival or to some new ground or whatever. Don't hit a pig because if you hit a pig, you'd be out for a big compensation payment. How much could a pig possibly cost? $1,000, $2,000, a really big one, perhaps even more. Don't hit a pig. And try not to hit potholes. Now, when you look at this photo, which is perhaps not necessarily representative, this is actually a good piece of road, actually. Um, (laughs) In some places, the roads were just a series of conjoined potholes. So much rain, you know. Fix the roads, you fix the road, it was broken again. Uh, The problem with the potholes, of course, was they would chop out the walls of your tyres. You have a puncture. As soon as you have a puncture, you are immobilised. You are then very much um, at risk of being robbed. Again, in all truthfulness, you had to be very careful. I can tell you, those guys that change the tyres on F1 cars takes them about 12 seconds. We could change a tyre on a bus in about three seconds. <laughs> Seriously, we would be out there, we would have someone getting the tyre out of the back, we'd have that wheel off, we'd have it under. 
because if you are stuck on the side of the road, you're at risk. Watch out for the three Ps. So we did the fourth P before we left. Every time we drove anywhere, before we left, to go out the gate, we would stop. Didn't matter who was on the bus, we would pray. And we would say, Lord, we just ask for your protection over us, the driver, this bus, the wheels, everything that we do, the engine, help us to get to our place safely, help us to get back safely. Every time we would rely on God uh, by praying. Now, I have to uh, honestly confess to you, I did not do that this morning. I got out in my car, I backed it out of the shed, I drove across, actually I came here first, I went to get the bread, I went to Albury, I've driven back from Albury, didn't even think twice about it. And when I got up this morning to get dressed, I didn't pray and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to wear today. I went to a wardrobe and I, I ruffled through all these shirts. I do like a nice shirt, Roderick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've got so many to choose from. What does it actually mean? Here's the question. What does it actually mean to pray, give us today our daily bread when we live with such abundance? What does it actually mean to pray, Lord, I'm depending on you for this moment when we live with so many things. We don't have to worry about what's on the table for lunch. I doubt there's anyone here going home to an empty fridge. There might be. There might be some people here who haven't quite got enough money to pay the power bill that's coming up. There might be others that are struggling in different ways, but for the most part, we live with so much. What does it actually mean to say, Lord, give us today our daily breads when we live with so much stuff? And the reality too is that we don't actually come to that place until we hit the wall, until something happens in life that causes us to suddenly realise that the resources that we have are not enough. When we have a crisis, a financial crisis, we lose a job, we lose... Uh, some kind of income. Uh, it's not until perhaps we strike some sort of medical crisis or someone in our family has, uh, has a, a medical crisis and we suddenly think, well, we don't have the ability to do this. We come to God then. And here's the risk. When those kinds of things happen, when we've lived in such abundance, we turn to God and say, what are you doing, God? You know, come on, get with the action here. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to depend upon you in this situation. And I want to tip my hat to some folks in our congregation who right now are facing some of those kind of crises, we know who they are. And they are not saying, God, you've given up on us, you've abandoned us. They're actually saying, we're trusting him. He's reaching out, even in the midst of this crisis, daily, hourly, minute by minute, for what's happening in the life of our family. That's how faith's worked out, our daily bread. That's what it looks like in this time of abundance, depending on God for everything that we need. Let's talk about the plurality of bread and the screen that I've given you here. I've highlighted the words us and our. This, uh, this prayer is kind of built on the idea of the first line, uh, our Father in heaven. When we say our Father, we're immediately joining ourselves, aren't we, with everyone else who acknowledges God as the Father. And so it's an expression of community. And so too, this part of the prayer, give us today our daily bread, is a prayer that is not just meeting our needs, but the needs of our community. It was, it, it, it's about praying so that others too might experience the grace and mercy of God. If I was only concerned with satisfying my hunger without considering the hunger of others, that would be a breach of relationship. It would be a little bit like... 
um, taking you home and saying, we're going to have lunch together, but you guys, you're going to just sit outside while we eat and then we'll come out and have a talk to you later on. How would that go down? Yeah, none of you are going to come to my place if that's how you're going to get treated. Why would we treat anyone else like that? So when we pray our, uh, our daily bread, we're actually praying a prayer uh, that is very much relationally based. This is uh, a little statement here by Leonardo Boff. I've quoted him before. Matt's mentioned him in passing as well. He said these words. These are challenging words. God does not hear the prayer that only asks for my bread. A genuine relationship with God calls for maintaining a relationship with others. When we present God with our own needs, he wants us to include those of our brothers and sisters. Otherwise, the bonds of fellowship are severed and we only live for ourselves. And Boff very helpfully, I think, says, you know, God wants us to be concerned not only with his affairs, his kingdom, his will, his name, but he wants us to be engaged with human affairs, human needs, human hunger. And in fact, one of the sobering thoughts, a reminder from the scriptures that uh, when we stand before God, one of the measures that he uses will be how we have treated the hungry, the naked, the thirsty and the prisoner. It's hard to believe perhaps, but I think it's true to say that our eternal destiny is tied up with bread. How we pray for it and how we provide it for those who are in need. And then we come finally to the proclamation of bread. In the year 440. BC Nehemiah along with the people of Israel who had been exiled because of their disobedience made their way back to Jerusalem and the story there in Nehemiah you can read this is of the rebuilding of the walls one of the things that they did as they rebuilt the walls as they rebuilt community was reinstitute the feasts of the Lord you remember God gave his people a number of feasts to celebrate his covenant with them to celebrate what he'd done for them to celebrate his goodness and this image of a feast this uh, this picture that we've got even here this abundance this joyful celebration of God we find through the scriptures on a number of places for instance in Isaiah Isaiah says um, there's a time coming when on Mount Zion God would prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples a banquet of aged wine the best of meats the finest of wines on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. There's great promises in there. But that's the, the images of the, of feast is what I want to talk to you about. If I said to you, uh, come with me, let's go down the street and have a snack, what would you expect? Yeah, define snack for me. Yeah, it might be a... A small cake, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're an addict, you might have your coffee. Um, you know, something simple like that. <laughs> but if I said to you, let's, let's uh, next weekend, let's, let's get together and have a feast. What does that image convey? Don't just pull out a packet of iced Vovos, David. That would be, you know, that'd be pretty stingy, really. A feast, a cornucopia of food, you know, we're going to do the finest of meats, all this wonderful stuff. I love a good smorgasbord. A feast, that's the kind of imagery that God is uh, projecting here in Isaiah. And I speak about these things because when we pray this prayer, give us 
this day our daily bread. At one level, and only one level, it's about the, the, the food that we need for today. But there's some nuances in the Greek text here which are kind of interesting. And it, it can be, quite probably, translated, give us today our bread for tomorrow. Not like my prayer before, give us today our yearly bread, but give us the bread that nourishes our, our spirits. Give us the bread, the bread of life. Where have we heard that phrase before? Give us the bread that will feed our spirits. Give us the bread that anticipates the feasts of the Lord. Give us the bread that anticipates that great, can I use this word, eschatological feast, the feast of the end times, when God brings everything under his control, when God finally brings history to its conclusions and puts his great feast before his people and celebrates his goodness with us. That's one of the things that this prayer is anticipating too. So you can see it's sort of shooting at two levels. Today, the basic needs, the, the earthiness, but also the end times, the wonderful time of blessing when God uh, brings his people together. In John chapter 6, and I alluded to this, Jesus fed the 5,000. Here, here in itself is a kind of an anticipation of that feast. Jesus started with virtually nothing, just a couple of loaves, a few little fish. There wasn't much there. At the end, they collected up baskets of food that were left, kind of a sign of God's abundance. And in teaching uh, in that context, Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, which refers back to the manna in the wilderness, but it is my Father in heaven who gives the true bread from heaven. And in verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And we're encouraged to hunger for that bread. Give us today that bread. Give us today our daily bread, the daily bread that nourishes our soul. Jesus said in verse 51, John chapter 6, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And so this morning... You're, you're welcome, you're welcome to come and participate in this meal, this meal that is at once a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, but is also a proclamation of the feast yet to come, a proclamation of that end time feast, that time when God will bring everything to a conclusion and gather his people around the table of abundance. Today we eat the bread that foreshadows that feast that Isaiah spoke about. And so the invitation this morning is open to anyone who loves the Lord Jesus to come and take this bread and to take this cup. The bread, of course, the reminder of the body of Christ given for us. The cup, a reminder of the blood of Christ shed for us. A meal that looks back to what's been done for us. A meal that reminds us of the life that we have now, but a meal that looks forward too, to a time that is yet to come. A meal that helps us look in all sorts of directions at once. We're going to pray and then we invite you to come and participate. For those of you who are regulars here, you'll know typically we ask you to move to the centre aisle, down the centre, to take the cup, to take the bread and then move around to the outside. The back blocks, there's tables there at the centre of the auditorium for you to, uh, to take from. There's bread there's some gluten-free options here too just keep your hands off my loaf um, that's going to be lunch today after the service too um, and we don't and I was reminded of this last time when Matt led we don't make uh, make this really clear what do we do with the cups 
I'll just pass them to a responsible looking person and then they can be returned in time to the little uh, plastic receptacles that are on the table so that we can wash them and use them again. But we're going to pray and just take this moment to reflect on this meal of celebration together and then as we conclude that prayer I invite you to stand, come forward and receive these communion elements. Let's pray. Jesus, bread of life, we thank you that you are the one who nourishes our spirit, the one to whom we might come and never be hungry. Lord, we don't need to look to another God, we don't need to look to other systems because you, Lord Jesus, have done everything that was necessary for us to have life and abundant life. You have done everything necessary to defeat sin, uh, to bring forgiveness, to restore us into relationship with our Heavenly Father and say, Lord Jesus, we give you praise and glory today. May we experience your abundance in our lives today. And in praying that, Lord, we're not praying for some kind of uh, material blessing or prosperity theology. We are asking that you might fill us with your spirit, overflow out of us, so whatever place we find ourselves in, whatever needs we're experiencing at the moment, whatever our circumstances, we might know with absolute confidence and certainty, not because of who we are, but because of you, that you are in control that you are God, that you are working out your purposes, that you are worthy of praise and glory and that as your word teaches us, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are, you are God. Lord Jesus, we take these elements today with grateful hearts as they look back to what you've done for us on the cross. We take these elements with thankful hearts because we know the life of the Spirit in us that helps us right now in this life and we take these elements as a proclamation of your return and of the abundance that you promise in the future, that great feast of the Lord that we anticipate. And we give you praise and glory now. Amen.